Welcome to the Grace Point Church Podcast. Here at Grace Point Church, we believe in meeting people where they are and leading them to where God wants them to be. Join us now as we listen to this week's message. Have you ever gotten a gift that you didn't like? I have. And I was going to bring one today. I was going to have a nicely wrapped box with one of the gifts that I have gotten, and I was going to show it to you. Well, see, the problem is, is that some of you are watching us online today, and it might be you that gave it to me. And uh, I wasn't sure if I wanted to take that risk, because I really couldn't remember who gave me some of these things. Um, but unwanted gifts, man, we get them all the time. In fact, uh, they did a, uh, a survey to, f- to find out uh, what, what unwanted gifts people get. And the prediction is, is that for this year, that there will be $13 billion spent in unwanted gifts. Just this year. $13 billion. And this is the breakdown. This is the breakdown of where those unwanted gifts are spent. 34% of the unwanted glyphs are clothing. Please, no more sweaters. 18% household items, cosmetics, fragrances, food. Who turns out food? But apparently 9% of food does, goes back. Technology, music, literature. All in all, $13 billion of unwanted gifts are going out. Now, what do we do with those unwanted gifts? Well, 29% of them we keep. We put them in a box somewhere because you never know because for another 22% of them, we re-gift them. So if you get something this year from me, well, that'll be amazing. But if you get something that you don't like, it's because someone else gave it to me. 22% of us exchange them, right? That's why the biggest shopping day of the year is December 26th. Because everybody's going back to the stores to exchange them. 10% sell them. 8% give them back. Now get this. I know, 8% give them back, right? That's like, no, really, I'm good. 6% throw them away. That means $780 million in gifts are going to be thrown away this year. Amazing. And 6% of the women said that they bought gifts knowing that the person they're giving the gift to is going to throw it away, is not going to like it, 6%. And I thought, wow, that was amazing. Until I saw 25% of men do the same thing. <laughs> Buy a gift for somebody that we know that they're not going to like. I, I, I can't believe it. Well, we are in this series that... Uh, is our Christmas at the movie series. And, and you know, I, I'm the lucky one because I get to pick the movies. And the movie that we are, are looking at today is one of my all-time favorite movies. It is my number two Christmas movie. And, and the movie is, of course, It's a Wonderful Life. And the interesting thing about the movie It's a Wonderful Life, um, when it came out, when it first was released in the theaters, it cost them about $6.3 million to produce. And they needed to make, they wanted to make about double that. And they didn't. When It's a Wonderful Life came out in the movies, it was a box office flop. And nobody was watching it. It wasn't even supposed to be a Christmas movie. But 
what happened was that this movie came out and no one was really watching it and it kind of went under the radar and the producers of the movie forgot to renew the copyright on it. And in that year that they forgot to renew the copyright, it became what they call public domain, which means you can play the movie anytime. You don't have to pay anybody for it. And so these television stations all across the country got a free gift that year because they were able to play this two-hour-plus-long movie for free and all during the Christmas season when none of the TV shows, because, you know, your favorite TV shows, they never put out new shows during the holidays. It's always reruns. So they were able to play this movie. And that free playing of the movie is what made It's a Wonderful Life a holiday classic. I love this story. And if you've never seen it before, then I am sorry because I am going to spoil it for you because I'm going to tell you all about the movie. The movie is about a guy named George Bailey. And George Bailey, he lives in this small town called Bedford Falls. And George is not happy with his life. In fact, he thinks that his life is worthless. So he's lived in this town his entire life. And a series of events happen. And all of a sudden, George finds himself in this situation where his business is about to go under. It's a savings and loan. So the bank examiners are coming in because there was a, some money that was lost that he didn't lose, but it was shown as lost. And so the bank examiners were going to come in to close down the savings and loan. The police were coming to arrest him for stealing the money that he didn't steal. He was facing shame for his family, the loss of his family, having to go to prison. And he found himself on a bridge on a snowy winter's day, looking down into the icy water and thinking to himself, I'm worth more dead than I am alive. Because he had an insurance policy. And he was worth more dead than he had alive, than he was alive. And so in the movie, God is watching him. And he doesn't want to let George die. So he sends an angel, Clarence. And Clarence comes down and he's trying to get a way, find a way to let George see that this beautiful, wonderful gift that he no longer wanted was really so valuable. And so this is how Clarence figured out what to do. Yeah, so you still think killing yourself would make everyone feel happier, eh? Oh, I don't know. I guess you're right. I suppose it'd been better if I'd never been born at all. What'd you say? I said I wish I'd never been born. Oh, you mustn't say things like that. You... Wait a minute. Wait a minute. That's an idea. What do you think? Yeah, that'll do it. All right. You've got your wish. You've never been bored. You don't have to make all that fuss about it. So that was Clarence, George's guardian angel, and he gives him what he asked for. George was never born. And so the movie goes on and George goes back into his town and his town is no longer the same town that it was when he was there. 
really had become kind of shady. And it was now named after the richest guy in town who took everybody's money. And when he got into town, what he found out was that his business was gone. In fact, after his father died, that was the end of the business. It never survived. He saw that uh, the man that he used to work with, who was a pharmacist, who he saved from making a tragic mistake, because he was never alive to save him from making that mistake, that man became the town drunk. His brother Harry uh, had an accident when he was young, and he had fallen through the ice, and George was the one who saved him. But because George had never been born, no one saved Harry, so Harry died. But in the war, Harry saved hundreds of men from drowning, and so those hundreds of men died too. And then he was able to see his wife, and his wife never married, and his kids, they never existed. And George began to see what a wonderful gift his life really had been. Now, It's a Wonderful Life started out not as a movie, a movie script. It started out as a short story. Somebody was writing a story about this whole thing, about what would happen, you know, if, if this guy never existed, if he had never been born. And so today what I want to look at is, is kind of like a It's a Wonderful Life story. Uh, there was a guy who lived thousands of years ago. His name was Paul. Uh, some of you who've grown up in church, you know him as the Apostle Paul or St. Paul. And he, Paul, he wrote a majority of the books in what today we call the New Testament. And Paul wrote this letter to the house churches that were in this city, this Greek city, Ephesus. And in this letter that he wrote to these new believers, he wrote to them and he gave them this little kind of a... It's a wonderful life story by telling them about what their life would have been like if, they had, if Jesus had never lived. And so he starts it off and he says this. He says, once you were dead. And that word dead is, is a, a term that it doesn't mean like physically you were dead. It's more of, a, of how you describe something that is cut off from its source of life. Because you cut it off, it doesn't mean that it just drops and dies, but it is dying. It's like flowers, right? Ladies love it when we get them flowers, but we're basically handing them a bunch of dead flowers because even though they're pretty and they're beautiful, they've been cut off from the source of life. So they're there and they look good and they have a function, but they're not really alive. And this is the language that Paul is using. He's saying, listen, there was a time when you were like that. There was a time where you, you're, you felt like you were living, but really you were cut off from the source of life. So you may have looked pretty, but you were dead. And he says it was because of your disobedience and your many sins. Now, in 2018, those are not words we like to hear, right? We don't like to hear people talk about disobedience and Sin. But in the language that he's using there, what he's talking about with disobedience is not really, uh, it's not really emphasizing as much as you're not following the rules, as much as what he's saying is, is you're crossing over a line. You're crossing over a border. There is a place where you're supposed to be, and there is a place where God is supposed to be, and you keep trying to be God in your life. And you keep crossing over it. And so he's saying, listen, there was a time... When you 
were dead. You were walking around, but you may as well have been dead. He goes on and he says this, you used to live in sin. And that sin that he's talking about, that separation from God is like what he's saying is, is that there was something we were living in a way that kept us apart from God, just like the rest of the world, obeying the devil, the commander of the powers in the unseen world. And then he says this, he and he's talking about the devil. He's saying that, listen, there is a spirit at work. And that phrase at work is a diligent work. It's not a, I'm punching in at eight and I'm punching out at five. It is, I am there all the time, persistent. There is a spirit that is at work and it's tugging on your heart. And it's pulling you into a direction where if you thought about it, you may not want to go. But sometimes we do things. Guys, a lot of times, don't we do things without thinking? Isn't that just naturally how we are? There is something inside us, Paul is saying, that is pulling at us in a direction that even if we don't want to go, it's pulling us there. And he says, all of us used to live this way. See, he is painting a picture because the people who are reading this aren't any more like that. He said at one time you were dead. So he's showing, he's showing the people there. He's trying to paint a picture for them of what their life would have been like if they were still dead. He says, we all used to live that way, following the passionate desires and inclinations of our sinful nature. Can you imagine for a moment what your life would be like if you could get everything that you wanted What a nightmare that would be. I know because, listen, if you asked 13-year-old me all of the things I wanted and you could have it, I don't think I would have made it to 14. We We don't have the ability to look past our appetite in front of us. And he says, this is how you would have been living. You would have been living only following the desires and inclinations, the the things that we want to do right now based on us being separated from God. He says, by our very nature, we were subject to God's anger, just like everyone else. And I think sometimes when we read things like this, where it talks about God's anger, that we think that he is angry at us. Right? God's anger. We were subject to God's anger. It's an interesting thing because I think, I I don't know how to convey it if you've never been a parent. If you've never been a parent, then it's hard for you to understand what it's like to see your child, your son or daughter, do something stupid. Because, listen, if you have a son or a daughter, they have done something stupid. At some point in their life, if they haven't already, it's only because you haven't seen it. But they're going to do something stupid. And as a parent, you look at the child. And you don't hate the child. You just hate the stupidity in the kid. And your heart breaks for the things that happen to the child. Right? We're not mad at them. We're mad that they're sticking the fork in the electric socket. Because we know how dangerous it is. Dangerous it is for them. And as, 
as fun as it might look like, we're not upset at them. We just want them to be safe. And here is God and he's looking at how this world has become. And all of the things that, listen, if we go unchecked, the things that we do to each other. Because a lot of times we say, you know, kids can be cruel to each other. And people will nod and go, yeah. Listen, adults can be just as cruel. And we do crazy things to each other. And God gets angry, not at us, but at the conditions that we have created because of the decisions that we've made. And he says, by our very nature, just the way that we're wired right now, we were subject to God's anger, just like everyone else. And then he says this, but, right? And but is always the turning point. But is always the place where we go, it was like this, and now it's like this. But is always the place where we see what comes next, what happens when you change. He says, but. Now, you've heard all of those bad things. It's the part of the movie where you see all the bad things that that would have happened if George was never alive. And then he says, but God is so rich in mercy. Have you ever been around somebody who was rich? I'm not talking about comfortable. I'm talking about rich. You know, rich to that point of rich where money doesn't matter at all. Like, you, you run out of gas, so you buy a new car. Right? That level of rich. This is what he's talking about. Because for some of us, a regular amount of mercy isn't enough. Right? Some of us look at our lives and we're going, a normal amount of mercy is not enough for everything that I've done. And everything I've gone through. No, I need a dude that is so rich in mercy. And he loves us so much. Have you ever seen love and wished it was directed at you? Have you ever gone to the airport and seen people who haven't seen each other in a long time and you see that the way that they run to each other's arms, that they hug each other, whether it's a a husband and wife or a boyfriend, girlfriend or a parent and child, you know that way that when you're there and you just show that love? That's a song. This is the kind of love he's talking about. It's not a love that we observe out there. It's a love that is directed at you and at me. He's so rich in mercy and he loved us so much. Listen to what he says. He says that even though we were dead because of our sins, even though we were dead, Because of our sins. Listen, I know that seems like something we don't understand. So let me put it in a phrase that you can understand. Even though we were still doing the stupid things that we're doing. Even though we're still making the same mistakes that we're making. Even though we haven't turned our life around. Even though we haven't made a change. Even though we're still suffering from the bad decisions that we make. Even when we are at our worst. Because of our sins, he said he gave us life when he raised Christ from the dead. Now think about that. 
He didn't give us life when we got our act together. And some of you, like me, that's how we grew up being taught. We taught that we would get life when we stopped all of those bad habits. We thought we would get life when we finally turned our life around. We thought we would get life when our lives were completely different. And Paul is saying, listen, while you were still in that bad spot, while you were still making all those mistakes, while you were still in that place where you didn't feel like there was any hope for you at all, he gave you life when he raised Christ from the dead. It was what he did, not what you did. It was what he did. Not how hard you worked. It was because of what he did. And then he says, it is only by God's grace that you have been saved. And grace, you know, it has a very specific meaning. The meaning of grace is unmerited favor and mercy. Unmerited We didn't do a thing to deserve it. We didn't do a thing to earn it. Unmerited favor and mercy. And he says, that's all for us. He goes on at the end of this and he says, listen, he says, don't forget that you Gentiles. And if you were here last week, you know that we talked about this phrase just means the people who weren't church people. Right. The people who didn't grow up knowing about God and some of you who are here today, maybe some of you who are watching us online or listening to us online. That's you. That's you. You have no idea what this whole God thing is about. You're not connected at all to it. You are on the outside and you might be here for a number. You might be here because the only way that you could get a free dinner tonight was to be here today. I don't know why you are here, but. Don't forget, because this is what he's saying. You, like all of us, we used to be on the outside. Do you know what it's like to be on the outside? How many of you remember a time where there was no Starbucks? Right? When coffee was coffee, it was like 50 cents, unlimited refills. There were two kinds of coffee, regular and unleaded. And that was it. Right? You guys remember that? Do you remember the first time you walked into a Starbucks and some guy comes up to the counter and he goes, I'll have a grande, low foam, no fat, right? Everybody's saying all this stuff and you're like, I just want coffee. And they know exactly where to stand and where to go and they know exactly which place to go next. And you're standing there going, oh my goodness, what am I going to do? Because you were an outsider. You didn't belong. You didn't have the lingo. You had never been there before. You did not know the beauty of ordering a half-cap low-foam latte with almond milk. Right? You were an outsider. And he says, don't forget that at one time you were an outsider In those days when you were an outsider, you were living apart from the source of life. You were living apart from Christ. And he said you were excluded. 
from the from the people who knew God, the people who raised up with God. And not only that, he says, you didn't know the covenant promises God made to them. Listen, there are people in your life today who know you, if you are a church person, if you, if you call Grace Point Church your home, or if you have a church home somewhere, there are people in your life who know you go to church. And they have no idea what that means. There are people in your life who know that you are a Jesus follower. And they have no idea the benefits, the peace that comes with that. Because when you're excluded, when you're on the outside, you don't know all of the beautiful things that you can do when you're on the inside. Man, I remember the first time that I found out that you could order ice water from Starbucks and it was free. Man, now every time I order something, it's always with a tall ice water, please. And it's free. See, you didn't know until you became an insider. You were excluded. You lived in this world without God. And then he uses this phrase, and without hope. And to the audience that Paul was talking to, they understood what that phrase meant. Without hope. Because to that audience, what they thought, what they believed, was this life is it. So make the best of it. Because once it's done, it's done. And you fast forward 2,000 years, and here we are again living in a culture where most of the people believe that this life is it. And once it's done, it's done. They're living without God and without hope. And then Paul says this, But now, before, no hope. But now, you have been united with Christ Jesus. Before, you were alone. You were apart from the source of life. You were an outsider. You didn't know what to do when you got in line at Starbucks. Now, you have been united. You're weaved in. You are connected. You've been united with Christ Jesus. Once you were far away from God, but now you have been brought near to him through the blood of Christ. Not through what you have done, but through the blood of Christ. Now listen, this is a hard thing for some of us to get. Some of us, it takes years to get this. Especially if you have grown up in church, it is a tough thing to get. Because when we grow up, and I don't know about you, but in my family, it was very much based on what have you done? You do good, things are good. You know, you do bad, things are not happy. And I grew up in a family that was A or F. You know, so when I was a kid, if you came home with a B plus, it might as well have been an F. Yeah. So if my kids are watching, be thankful. (laughs) Listen, it's hard for us to get this because we do live in a society where how you perform is usually how you get responded to. You're nice to people, they're nice to you. You're not nice to people, they're not nice to you. 
So sometimes it's hard for us to connect this idea that there is someone out there who loves you no matter what it is that you do. No matter where you have been in your life. No matter how many mistakes that you've made. And especially if you've grown up. I grew up with pictures like this. Right? And this is, and, and so I stayed around because I was scared. Because Jesus is carrying a sword. And he looks like Yanni wearing a robe. And he's got a really, really big horse. And there's other these things coming out. And it frightened me. And I was never sure whether or not God loved me. Because what I understood was God's love for me was based on how well I did. And so I would go to sleep at night in fear, in fear, wondering if something happened to me, if the television, because I had a television in my room, it was a 19 inch black and white and it was beautiful. But I always feared that that television, which was on the dresser right next to the bed, would fall over on top of my head and would I die? And if I did, was I going to be saved? Was this all that there was or was there something more? And I never knew. And so I walked through life for many years, never knowing if God loved me and if the price that Jesus paid was enough for me. And then one day, it finally sunk in to my really, really thick head. And fortunately, most of you have much thinner heads than me. So it should be easy for you, man. It took a while for it to get through here. But once it finally did, that I don't have to do things for God, that I get to do things for God, Man, I can't tell you how much joy there was in me. That I get to go to bed every night and wake up every morning knowing that no matter what happens to me, the next thing I'm going to see is Jesus. The peace of that, the joy of that, that all of the mistakes that I've made, all of the bad things that are going on in my life now, all of the the repercussions from everything that has come up where I've fallen short, that all of that... God can work on if you just give him a chance. See, that's how our story ends. So here's, here's Paul again, and he's writing this letter to Timothy. And this is what he says in it. He says, this is a trustworthy saying, and everyone should accept it. So he's setting it up because he's about to tell Timothy something really, really important. And he starts off like this, and he says, Christ Jesus came in the world to save sinners. He didn't come for the good people. He didn't come for the people who thought that they've got it all set, that they know exactly what's going on, that they're doing good. He didn't come for them. He came specifically for me. He came specifically for the guy who's messed it up who didn't do it right, who made all the bad decisions. He came into the world to save sinners. And Paul says, listen, I am the worst of them all. See, he's trying to paint a picture here. He's trying to make a comparison. He's saying, you think you're bad? You have no idea what bad is. But God had mercy on me 
so that Christ Jesus could use me as a prime example of his great patience with even the worst sinners. No matter what we've done, no matter what we're doing, he has great patience with us. And then he says, then others will realize that they too. You see what he's saying? He's saying, listen, you got to know that I am the worst of sinners and God had mercy on me. And if you can get that in your head, if you can get. Man, if you guys just knew where my life had gone, I stand up here every week thinking there is no way that God should be able to use somebody like me every single week. And God says, and Paul's writing this and he's saying, listen, you have no idea. You think you're bad. I am the worst of them all. But God, he was with me. And when he sees, when you guys see that he can be with me, he says, then others will realize that they too can believe in him and receive eternal life. He's saying, no matter where you're at, no matter what you've done, you can believe and you can have a connection with God that lasts beyond this life. That there is hope and that you can be there. Not because of what you have done, but because of what he has done. And imagine the peace And the joy that comes from knowing that everything has been paid for, that everything has been made whole. That's how our story ends. Here's here's the ending of the of the movie. man in town.
aside from the theologically questionable idea about angels getting their wings from bells ringing. I love this ending because if you follow the story, everything that was wrong and that was bad that was about to happen to George was solved in that one scene. The bank examiner who was getting ready to shut down his business, his family business, was the first guy who dropped money in the bucket. The, the policeman who had the arrest warrant that was supposed to be to take him to jail for stealing the money was the guy that ripped up the warrant and put it into the bucket. And, and then the guy, the, the, the little guy with the, with the funny glasses and the curly hair that was, uh, had the old adding machine and he was just counting the $1 at a time and putting it in, right? All of the people, all of his friends, all of the people in town had come in and gave money because they heard that he needed money. And he was able to get all of the money that was lost, that was stolen, that was taken away through no fault of his own. Every bad thing that he thought that was happening in his life, it all wrapped up in that one moment. And you see, it wasn't a miracle that made it happen. It was already there. And that's what Christmas is. See, when he says Christmas, that, that Jesus is Emmanuel, God with us, it's a reminder that God is here with us. And that what he is offering you is already there. See, too often I think we think that, that in how, how this goes is, is we're heading down the wrong path. And we have to turn around. And when we turn around, we see Jesus. And what we don't realize is, is that when we're heading down the wrong path, Jesus is right in front of us. Hold on, hold on, hold on. We don't have to turn to see him. That he is right there. See, Christmas is a reminder of the joy that you and I can have in our hearts and in our lives when we realize that the gift was given to us. No strings attached. Now, a lot of people don't like that. Because they say, well, that just gives you free license to do whatever you want if you know that God will love you no matter what you do. But the beauty of God is, is that he takes you exactly where you are, but he never leaves you there. He never leaves you in the bad spots. He never leaves you in the tough situations. That if you put your faith and trust in him, that he will take you just as you are, And he will lead you into a place where you can be everything that he wants you to be. And it's there for you today. Christmas is a reminder that Jesus brings joy into all of our worlds. And that joy is available for you and me. Thank you for joining us for this week's message. Grace Point Church is located in South San Francisco, California. For more information, look us up online at www.wearegracepoint.com.